0: Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. Hey everybody, it's James, host of Dakota Spotlight. I have a bit of a holiday treat for you today, which I'm very excited about to share with you. A few weeks ago, I traveled to the town of Montevideo, Minnesota. I was there to take part in a meeting with three of my colleagues to plan and discuss work for The Vault, which is Forum Communications' online catalog of great stories about Midwest history, mysteries, and, of course, true crime. And why did we convene in Montevideo, Minnesota? It was purely a logistical decision. We all live in different places, and so three of us drove to Montevideo, where a fourth colleague lives. Her name is Trisha Trinskus. Over coffee, someone asked Trisha if there wasn't a local story, anything from the Montevideo, Minnesota area, that she had considered for the vault. It turns out that there was one story that Trisha had on her mind. In fact, to me, it seemed to be stuck in her mind. As she began to describe a curious death that had taken place there, I recognized something in Trisha that day. I don't know what it was, maybe something in her eyes or her mannerisms. I can't be quite sure, but I could tell that this story had taken a hold of her, and she was on the brink of taking a hold of it. I could tell right then and there this story was not going to just go away for her, She was in the very early phases of a nagging feeling that I know very well myself. I would describe it as an almost uncomfortable sense of calling, a somewhat involuntary compulsion to go and look for and find answers all in the name of justice and in the truth. And that's exactly what she did, exactly what she is currently in the middle of doing now. My holiday treat for you coming up right here, right now, is the first full episode of Tricia Turinski's reporting on the death of Refugio Rodriguez, a Minnesota man found dead on a walking path, a man who had just told his family his life was in danger after he was outed as a confidential informant for law enforcement. And yet, despite the suspicious death, his case was closed. The death ruled a suicide. But as you might imagine, and as Trisha sensed all along, there's a lot more to the story than that. What follows is my very talented colleague, Trisha Terinska's first episode on this story.
1: You know, he just wanted to start a whole new life. A whole new life, you know, without anybody putting him down and interrupting with his Uh, with his life and all that stuff. He Mm -hmm. just wanted to start a whole
2: new life. A fresh start. Yeah. Do you think that
1: someone killed him? Yes, I do. I seriously do. Especially when he told me that he had to a certain time.
2: This is The Vault. I'm Trisha Terenskis. I'm an investigative reporter for Forum News Service. This is part one of an ongoing series on the death of Refugio Rodriguez and the investigation that followed. On the morning of September 20th, 2020, Refugio Rodriguez was reported hanging from a tree on a popular walking path in the rural Minnesota city of Montevideo, He was discovered by a local resident out for a morning stroll with his dog. I remember that day vividly. The walking path, the one where his body was discovered, was a part of my regular running route. It's a beautiful area, a worn black paved path that follows the gentle twists and turns of the creek, nestled below a canopy of giant maple trees. It's peaceful, serene a pocket of paradise that makes you feel like you've escaped the outside world just for a bit. From the moment I heard the news of Refugio's passing, I was curious. Word quickly spread around the community that the official law enforcement narrative that he had committed suicide was maybe not quite right. And then I heard something that really caught my attention. His family. Even his own mother wasn't satisfied with the explanation that he had hanged himself. She believed someone else did that to him. At the time, I was new to the community. I had just had a baby and put my career on pause. And so, despite wanting to look into Refugio's death, I set the story aside. But I didn't forget about Refugio. I continued to run along that path, noticing each time the memorial that had been created for him. A wooden cross, etched with a tribute, is nailed to the tree near the one his family was told once held his body. And then, this year, on the two-year anniversary of his death, I unknowingly laced up my shoes and went on my daily run. And there, on the trail, beneath the memorial, beneath the cross, was Eloise, Refugio's mother. She was playing music and crying, the kind of tears shed by a mother who had lost her son. Shortly after that, I filed a request for the police report pertaining to Refugio's death, and I began to unravel a story far bigger than anything I anticipated when this all began. It's a story of what happens when a suspected confidential informant feels their life is in danger because the person they allegedly worked with law enforcement to bring down was able to figure out who they were. Despite the legal obligation of law enforcement to keep their identity hidden, It's a story of what happens when that alleged confidential informant is found dead on a popular walking path, and how law enforcement closes the investigation and labels it a suicide, despite numerous people telling law enforcement, on the record, on the day of his death, that that person, who was found dead, believed someone was out to get him. But before we get into that, it's important to know who Refugio was, Because his life and death is at the center of this story. Refugio was 36 years old when he died. He struggled with drugs, but like anyone, there was so much more to him than his struggles. He was a friend, a brother, a son, an uncle. He was loved and he loved.
0: Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad free. That's right. No more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details.
2: Okay, so I guess I'm curious, you know, we've been doing all of this work and finding out really what happened to your son, but I don't know anything about him aside from what I've read in my research so I'm really curious what he was like as a child
1: uh, he was a really good kid you know he uh, he had a lot of friends uh, he got along really good he liked to uh, help me you know clean around the house he helped me shovel snow you know and uh, he, he liked baking he loved cooking. Yeah. So we, we told him that when he would grow up he would be a chef. Really? Yeah because he loved barbecuing and all that stuff you know and while he was growing up he he loved working too you know so um he was just a happy kid you know he, he was always trying to help people you know If he's seen people around you know they need help on anything like fixing cars because my husband taught him how to Fix cars and all that stuff, you know, he would help them, or if they needed uh, like anything like uh, help with kids or whatever, he would help them because he loved kids.
2: That's Eloise, Refugio's mother. After I obtained the police report and realized there could be more to this story, I knocked on her door. Before I could move forward with the story, with the investigation into her son's death, I wanted to know if she and her family still believed he had been killed if they were still not satisfied with law enforcement's official investigation. Eloise opened the door and let me in, and we talked. And that conversation was really the start of this story. Before we get into it, here's some context of what life was like in Montevideo, Minnesota, in September of 2020. It was in the midst of the COVID pandemic, and the nation, especially Minnesota, Was still reeling from the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. The world felt unsettling. Montevideo is located roughly two hours from Minneapolis. It's a town of roughly 5,000 residents, surrounded by even smaller rural communities like Benson, Watson, and Dawson, just to name a few. Montevideo is at the heart of Chippewa County. It houses the courthouse, the county run hospital, a Genio factory ice castle headquarters, and a robust school system. For the most part, it's a quaint, peaceful town. And that's why, on that Sunday morning, when Refugio's body was found, it sent shockwaves through the town. Refugio was released from prison just six days before he was found dead, He had been serving an 11-month sentence for fleeing police while carrying out a work assignment as part of what's known as a sentence-to-serve program. Refugio had been in prison before, yet his mother said this time was different. He was getting older, and he wanted to make a change for the better. This time, though, he knew he would need a change of scenery to make that happen. He was battling drug addiction, and staying in the same situation that created the chaos can be problematic, even for the most committed. Refugio's plans to move away, to start over, were even more pressing considering the threats against his life. Someone wanted him dead. Refugio first learned someone had put a hit out on him while he was in prison. His mother, Eloise, who had been made aware he was in danger, was the one to deliver the news. She feared the person who wanted her son dead would use connections on the inside to kill him in prison. So when she picked her son up after he was released from the Rush City Correctional Facility on September 14th, 2020, she was relieved he was alive. They both were.
1: When we went to go pick him up, I was so happy to go pick him up, and he was so happy. I seen his smiles, you know, coming out, and I just hugged him and I didn't want to let him go. And he goes, Mom, I want to get out of here. I said, "Okay, let's go, let's go. (laughs) So, yeah, we got in the truck and we came home. We went out to eat and everything.
2: But their joy quickly vanished as Refugio learned that his life was still in danger and the threat was even more dire. Refugio told at least four people he was afraid for his life in the days before his body was discovered. Their stories were all the same. Refugio had become a target of an individual who, through publicly accessible court documents, had identified him as a confidential informant who worked with law enforcement in April of 2019 to buy drugs from a suspected dealer. The drug deal resulted in a conviction for the sale of methamphetamine. Minnesota state law requires anonymity for confidential informants and protection if they feel their life is in danger as a result of their cooperation with law enforcement. Now, I want to make this clear. Because state law does not require law enforcement to release information about a confidential informant, we are not able to confirm that Refugio was, in fact, a confidential informant. We do know, though, that the police report confirms that he felt his life was in danger because he was identified as a confidential informant. I also want to note here that the identity of the individual Refugio feared is not being revealed for the safety of people in the story. The individual has also not been charged or convicted of a crime, so it wouldn't be right to state their name. In the first few days out of prison, Refugio decided to make one final plea to the individual who allegedly held his fate in their hands. He went to beg for his life. Days before his death, Refugio asked his mom for a ride. Eloise didn't know why or where she was taking him, but she wanted to help. That's what she's hardwired to do. She's a mom. As he came out of the home he had requested to visit, she realized something was terribly wrong.
1: He went in, he was there for about half an hour or so, and uh when he came out, he uh he was crying, and I asked him why he was crying. And he didn't want to tell me, but then he said that uh, a that person told him that uh, that he had to a certain time to prove that it wasn't him, you know, and he had a limited time, or otherwise he was a goner. And I said, what do you mean a goner? And he goes, yeah, that, you know, I have to a certain time, I, I'm limited to or I'm going to be a gunner, and he he just got scared, you know, and he didn't
2: know what to do. Just a few days later, he was found dead on the trail. The call regarding Refugio's death came into the Montevideo Police Department at 8.26 a.m. the morning of September 20th, 2020. Cops arrived on the scene four minutes later. Officer Dustin Hissum, the responding officer at the scene, noted in the report that he recognized Refugio right away. He states he confirmed his identity when he reached inside Refugio's shorts pockets and pulled out his identification along with it came a small bag of meth. Arrangements were made for the body to be assessed by the Midwest medical examiner's office. The police report details that when law enforcement went to tell family members what had happened, one family member who wasn't named told the officer that Refugio had been making troubling remarks. The report doesn't clarify what those remarks were. It wasn't until Eloise spoke with the medical examiner's office and expressed concern that her son may have been murdered that the Montevideo Police Department called in investigator Carmen Beninga to look into claims that foul play might be involved. In interviews Officer Beninga conducted the day of his death, three individuals interviewed separately provided her with the same name of the person who threatened Refugio's life. Another provided her with the same story, without a specific name. Four stories, the day of his death, all the same. More than one individual interviewed by Officer Benninga gave the names of two other people Refugio believed to be likely accomplices in the hit. Despite the corroborating stories among those interviewed, Law enforcement did not attempt to make contact with the individual's refugio said he feared. That's according to documents in the police report. We requested an interview with investigator Carmen Beninga about the case and her investigation, but we were directed to Montevideo Police Chief Ken Shuley. And so I went down to the Montevideo Police Department to meet him. He took me into a small room, what looked like an interrogation room, and we began the interview. Okay, so despite, you know, being named in interviews that Carmen conducted, it doesn't, there doesn't appear to be any effort made to try and get a hold of or the two individuals that were named as accomplices. Okay. I guess my question really is,
3: why? I couldn't answer that for you. So, Carmen was the lead investigator on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what her attempts were. I could say, as far as Mm -hmm. I always try to stay out of the spotlight. Typically, law enforcement is for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. So, I I don't know as far as the other ones. If their names came up and it was reported to Carmen, I don't know why there wouldn't have been follow-up with it. I do know from the case it was just a spiral of of, you know, chasing many rabbits down a hole and everything was unfounded. And we kept going back to the same thing as far as with the forensics.
2: In the hours after police discovered Refugio's body, the responding officer collected cigarette butts found near his body for DNA testing. Later, a search warrant was obtained to access his cell phone. We found out that the police department did not test the cigarettes for DNA. The search warrant that was obtained to access Refugio's cell phone didn't go far either. Law enforcement chose not to access the cell phone, citing the phone's passcode as a barrier to get in. Police Chief Shuley said they chose not to take steps to access the cell phone because of the cost to the department. He also referenced the Midwest Medical Examiner's Office final summary, which was completed exactly one month after Refugio's death. Julie said his team closed the case after receiving the final report detailing the autopsy of Refugio's body and exhausting all leads. The official autopsy report by the Midwest Medical Examiner's Office indicated Refugio's body showed no defensive wounds. Based on the police department's details regarding the scene of the death and the autopsy findings, the Medical Examiner's Office classified the cause of death as a suicide by hanging. This is what was written in the final summary. In consideration of the known circumstances surrounding this death and the examination of the body, the death is classified as suicide and ascribed to hanging. I want to point out something here, something important. Remember earlier when I noted that the responding officer wrote in the report that he had taken Refugio's wallet from his pocket and, along with it, a small bag of meth? The autopsy report paints a different picture. It states Refugio's belongings were scattered along the walking path. The medical examiner's final summary states that Refugio's wallet, bag of meth, cell phone, and cigarettes were found nearby. That's a big deal. In cases like this, the scene of the death is critical in assessing what happened. Even details like how the knot was tied can matter. The medical examiner's final summary indicates that Refugio was found partially suspended from a tree beside a walking path, by means of a garden hose around his neck. The knot in that garden hose wasn't preserved and presented to the medical examiner. It didn't last after the responding officer cut the hose with a pocket knife. Refugio's family has had a copy of the autopsy report since the time it was released. All along, they believed his partial suspension from the tree indicated he had been hanging. That was, after all, the official narrative of the event. They only recently learned that he had, in fact, been discovered on his knees. I only recently learned that, too.
3: So, if, if I recall things correctly, um, Refugio was, was found um, basically kind of kneeling. Okay. So, he wasn't hanging from a tree with, you know, Space, you know what I mean, between Mm -hmm. between his feet and the ground. He was, you know, there wasn't space in between it. He, um, he was basically my understanding or my recollection was he's basically like on his knees. Okay.
2: So is the theory that he tied it around his neck while he was on his knees?
3: Mm -hmm. Well, probably tied it around his neck and then knelt down.
2: Was, okay. Was there enough um, resistance when you guys arrived for that to make sense?
3: Yes. As far as pressure, mm-hmm. yes, there would have been. And that was reflected in the autopsy report. Mm-hmm.
2: This is an ongoing story on the death of Refugio Rodriguez and the official investigation into his death by the Montevideo Police Department. If you know anything that could be valuable to this story, please reach out. I can be contacted through email at tterinskis at forumcom.com. That's T-T-A-U-R-I-N as in Nancy, S k a s at forumcom For my original reporting on this story, please visit inforum.com. Just look for the vault section.
0: Again, Dakota Spotlight fans, that was Trisha Sturinskas. Make sure you follow the rest of her reporting. Check out the podcast titled The Vault by Forum Communications anywhere you get your podcasts or head over to inforum.com slash podcasts. I'm currently working on season eight of Dakota Spotlight about the murder of Joel Loveline in Grand Forks, North Dakota in 2007. At the time of this recording, anyway, Christmas is just around the corner. So I'd like to wish all of you, regardless of what holidays you celebrate, I'd just like to wish you all a happy holiday season. And thank you again for listening to Dakota Spotlight. Be well, and if you are in the Upper Midwest this week, please stay warm and safe. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.